Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Lightning Dogs, the official podcast presented by the Nerdist Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. On Nerdist Show programming is made possible by a comic shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdishow.com. Lightning Dogs is conceived as an all-ages property, but these behind-the-scenes conversations are not all-ages. So listen at your own discretion, baby. Woo! Sometimes a great idea is truly like a bolt of lightning. And sometimes, if you're lucky enough, you can capture the exact moment that it strikes. That's what happened for us one fateful night while recording an episode of Nerdy Show. We accidentally launched a concept that derailed the entire show, and in no time, our lives. We couldn't stop talking about our favorite action figures and B-movies while twisting them into strange creatures, weird adventures, and dog puns. Lots and lots of dog puns. This is the story of Lightning Dogs, a journey steeped in the glory of 80s and 90s animation and sci-fi, where anthropomorphic dogs tear through the wasteland of a ruined Earth, battling mutants, miscreants, and the evil Glampire. Coming soon to small screens, comic books, and podcasts. Or at least that's the goal. But how do you go from a crazy idea into a fully formed world of conflict and characters? How does a harebrained discussion become an animated series? That's what we're finding out firsthand. We've recorded the entire development of Lightning Dogs since day one. From the moment of conception to every world building session and planning meeting, and the journey is still ongoing. Tune in as we create the world of the Lightning Dogs live. Welcome to another exciting episode of Lightning Dogs. Yo, it's me and Doug and Tony hanging out. Yo, what's up? Hey. And we've decided that today we want to talk about side characters and see what we can do to develop the side characters we already have and uh, also, you know, maybe invent some new ones by the by. Maybe we'll trip into something genius. That's, uh, That's kind of the Lightning Dogs way. So yeah, it's a little. It's kind of you, our just, you accidentally step in something. And the first one you mentioned, Tony, was you wanted to talk about Captain Scrap. I do indeed, because Doug and I are working on a short story for Captain Scrap to hopefully appear in the latest edition of a comic book. Yeah, and, which is and based on this conversation, it may not be about Captain Scrap at all. Like, Who it, knows? it depends. <laughs> oh, it depends on a lot more than you think, Doug. <sighs> this is not the first time we were barking up the wrong tree, and. It's not the first time that that tree in question was an alleged forthcoming edition of a comics anthology called A Comic Book. If you've been following along with the podcast, you might remember the story, but just in case, here's a quick refresher. There's an awesome comic book store in Orlando called A Comic Shop. They're a longtime affiliate and ally of the Nerdy Show Network, and for a long time, they produced an anthology comic called A Comic Book, where each issue had a different theme, a different editor, 
and an open roster of local Central Florida artists and writers contributing to it. Both Tony and I had work featured in it in the past. Early on, we were planning on doing a six-page Lightning Dog story in a comic book, but production stalled out and we moved on. We'll link to where you can read the original script on this episode's page, but that's not what we're talking about here. In this case, years later, there was hope of a revival for a comic book, and Tony and I were all in. This time, instead of doing a story about the lightning dogs themselves, we'd use it as an opportunity to explore the weirder corners of the wasteland. But that ended up not happening either. A comic book once again fizzled, and we dropped the project, choosing instead to keep pushing towards our goal of completing the lightning dogs pitch bible. This false alarm project didn't produce a script, but it did nudge this episode into being, and there's some great discussions ahead that define the look and character of Captain Scrap, as well as the corner of the world he inhabits. We also devote some time to further exploring the motivations of Earth's remaining artificial intelligences and how our recently created potato people might connect with our long-gestating plant hero. But first, in the hypothetical creation of this short comic story, why Captain Scrap? What led us away from our lead dogs and into the realm of a turtle pirate? We decided that rather than give four pages to what could be the first officially released Lightning Dogs thing in the world. It to should... one of our main characters, which would either underserve the story because then we're, we're devaluing their first appearance. Yeah, because a couple of pages isn't going to be enough to really, you know. Or to do something just it set in the, the world or the history that we've created, which right. then why would people give a yeah, fuck? You know, yeah. the optimal thing to do is to create an interesting story that just so happens to be in that world, kind of like a, a B-side track, something that would be back matter in a graphic novel collection and be like, yeah. I've never seen this before. What the hell? Mm -hmm. And it was at that point when Doug and I were talking about this a little bit and where to focus the script that we realized that sailors tell tall tales all the time and we've got the most epic sailor that ever has sailed or sunk in the seven seas in the I, form of Captain I was of also Captain a Scrap. part of that conversation. You were too. <laughs> you came in, you helped out, but it was, it, Doug and I started it, so I well, started it, with Doug it, and I. It really became... I'm not trying to exclude you, Cap. We love you. Once we hit upon the idea that it can be about a side character... The first thing we gravitated towards was Captain Scrap, because that was probably the side character that is most developed that could tell a side story. Like Halloween Jack, he's also he's is too too close to Glampire. He's got exactly. he doesn't really have a per strong personality of his own, comparatively yeah. speaking. Yeah. Captain Scrap, he's having his own adventures when, yeah. when we're not seeing him. The the entire point of Captain Scrap and in every previous bit of back matter that we've released is that he kinda he exists outside of the rest of the world's conflicts. He doesn't give a fuck. Because at the end of the day, he's like, yeah, I'm going to fight these giant sea creatures. You guys do whatever the hell you want. Glampire, the sea was here before you. It's going to be here after you. Yeah. And I, I would imagine he doesn't even fight them so much as he just tries to avoid them as much as possible. <laughs> like, he's he's out there for looking for booty. Not the uh, the kind you sit on. No, nah, he's looking for that, too. Oh, well, I'm sure. He's a mean, lonely sailor. He's a lonely sailor, but, like, how many other freak turtles are out there that, get, that have I don't sentience? think Captain Scrap cares. <laughs> <laughs> Equal yeah. opportunity. Going into weird territory well, after I, that. You know, pirates, they'll stick it in anything. That's just the rule of the sea. They shit those bloody sailors to go from port to port. <laughs> their swords are the other sword, their flesh swords. He wears a sword on his sleeve, quite literally. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Captain Scrap was based initially on a picture I drew of a pirate turtle with a pipe and a sword arm and a bunch mm -hmm. of uh, shrapnel. And, and a three point back. hat. Yeah, a tricorner. And I didn't really have any great intention with him, but he was actually designed as who's a random adversary that we could throw in at the end of the Lightning Dogs comic created for a comic book. Mm -hmm. And I think it's safe to say we all liked him. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he's kind of, he's kind of even involved. Obviously, he's evolved from there to being just kind of this other interesting adversary to just a force of nature. 
he went from just being a random thing that Glampar would just throw at the lightning dogs to being a guy who has his own story. He is from the sea, and that's where he spends most of his time. And that's where nobody on the land even dares right. to so go. Automatically, he's more interesting, where it's just like, that's where you choose to live and do your job, where nobody else wants to go out there. And he's a creature who can work in both the land and the sea, like turtles can, you know? So I don't know. There was something to me. There's something really interesting there. And there's a lot of. There's definitely a lot of space to play with. And in a large part, his salvage operation and the plunder that is most probably most often profitable to him is based on excavating the coastal cities that are completely annihilated that exist mm -hmm. below the water and are now you know nothing but breeding grounds and hatcheries for horrible monsters. If Halloween Jack and his world, his domain, represents Mad Max. I think it's safe to say Captain Scraps' world and his domain represents Waterworld. But a, an even worse Waterworld. Oh, yes, of course. And a better Waterworld. Waterworld, you know, it holds up better than you think. I gotta say. Kevin Costner with gills. Yeah. Why is that a problem? Because Kevin Costner. What's wrong with Kevin Costner? I'm sorry that he's an egotistical director. Doesn't make the movie bad. Uh... He's talented. Got them web uh... feet. <laughs> That was not a prosthetic, by the way. Kevin Costner just has web feet. <laughs> <laughs> that movie opened with him peeing in a machine. That was cool. Okay. No, he no no. He peed in a cup and then poured it into a machine. Whatever. <laughs> and now, had he actually peed into the machine? Yes, would have been cool. That would have been impressive. And the machine thanked him. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have a weird part for Nagel to fill. <laughs> but uh, we never got really deep into what he. did does for glampire but cap was saying something like oh he's like a scrapper he kind of goes looking for stuff and yeah why not why isn't there something in the ocean i remember talking we, 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 i can't remember how long ago we, we were talking about like human technology or boats or something that were just washing up onto the shore it like formed a wall and stuff and, oh, yeah. and the idea that there's a lot of missing stuff out there because again we don't know we still don't know what really happened in, ter in terms of did parts of the world fall into the sea or have the sea shifted or how different are the continents we don't really know but it would be really cool to have a character who, in a weird way, kind of like Kevin Costner in Waterworld, his job is he can dive down into the depth, get something rare and valuable for Glampire, and bring it back. Reliably. And he's the boss in some ways. Like he's running mm -hmm. a crew of people. The only reason Glampire would be dealing with him and it's like, a, hey, go get the lightning dogs kind of way. We got to actually come up with what that would be initially. Mm -hmm. I n actually had never considered him having a crew. I always imagined him being like... A like solo Kevin operator. Costner, kind of just like a solo gun for hire. Really? A little more... Well, I mean, I'm not against him having a crew. If we can think of something great, then that's awesome. But whenever I was picturing Adventures of Captain Scrap... It's Captain Scrap. It was always like him by himself, kind of like Han Solo if he was a real asshole and not really charming. Yeah, no, I can see that. Uh, and I, I too, have always kind of pictured him as a, as a one-man band. I actually have never really put him together with Glampire. And and the reason why I always pictured him as a one-man show is because we were talking about we don't want to have too many other creatures that have sentience on the same level as the lightning dogs. Well, which, is, which has actually been a point of contention between us, because right, I, I disagree right. quite a bit. That's fine. I'm just, uh, but that, that early on, yeah. that's why I always pictured him as being a solo act. I like the mystery. Because we can know what happens with Captain Scrap, but I like him as just, if he does work with Glampire, it's because it benefits Captain Scrap. Not because it helps Glampire, because he's afraid of Glampire in any way, shape, or form. Whatever. Uh, he can live without Glampire if he wants. He can live without yeah. Glampire, and the powers that Glampire possesses, for whatever reason, are ineffectual on this sea creature, Old perhaps. <laughs> exactly. Maybe, and it could be because of the things that he's seen. Because Glampire, you know, he can charm, he can infect the minds. Why would he even be doing that? To Captain Scrap. Like, the fact is, Glampire is, is a monarch. Yep. 
and scrap works for money. There's never going to be a transaction, and unless scrap's like, there's no way you can pay me enough to do this. Like, there's no way. Right. Now, I was just saying the the reason that I brought that up was that to give him a reason to work. Of course, what kind of an account? This is going to be out of left field. And we don't need to explore it too awful far. What kind of an economy exists here? Is it money? Is crystals. it barter? It's just crystals. So crystals crystal, are currency as well as power. If, well, if crystals have energy, in then them, what is what is scrap's end game? Does he just want material, or maybe he just wants to keep the a, boat running and keep the lights on? If he's a if he's a salvage operation, we could kind of play up the the idea of him nesting. You know, he is a turtle, so he's creating yeah. this large area for himself, ideally in some sort of a subterranean water cave type deal. Here, here's how I've viewed the whole scrap situation. Like Kevin Costner in Waterworld, he went out, found a couple rare items, came back. But Scrap is doing an operation. I mean, he's got a rig that's got like all kinds of tow cables and everything else. He'll pull and dredge and get all kinds of like large stuff out of the ocean. That's not a one man job. He runs a business, basically, and he's the most feared, lethal, and successful businessman out there. So the question of like, well, why would he be pulled on to do mercenary work? for Glampire is kind of like, well, maybe to set a trap or something like that to lure the lightning dogs to the ocean and be like, hey, you know, like, let's work together or something and then spring a trap on them. And whatever happens, there would then be a rivalry so that, you know, Scrap would be interested in taking them down just as much as Glampire would because maybe, you know, like maybe they do great injury to him. Maybe they cost him an eye. I don't know. Because Captain Scrap's got no reason to really come ashore and start dicking around with the lightning dogs. No. He'd just be like, why would I do that? <laughs> You're like, why would like, well, I, I have no reason to do that. Cap, you seem to think of Scrap as an antagonist more than anything else, is what I'm getting. Maybe a, a, well, an anti-hero he, he's, at best. He's someone who's willing to... He's he going to shake hands with the devil. Yeah, he, you know, he's, he's going to be on the opposite end. Like, he's not going to be the lightning dog's pal at any point in time unless it is mutually beneficial, and that is the exclusive reason that he would ever do that. Which I understand. Yeah. I just I see him as autonomous. I see him as pragmatic, and I see him as just kind of whatever serves scrap at the end of the day sure without necessarily getting involved he doesn't have time for vendettas he doesn't have time for any kind of a personal grudge necessarily then where's the character in his exploration i've embraced less kind of the businessman salvage operation side of scrap and more than nautical pirate and it's funny i kind of saw it as a mix of the two (laughs) it's like I'm, i'm like everything you guys are saying i'm like yeah and then over to Cap, yeah, yeah. I'm like just saying yes to pretty much everything. <laughs> well, because I, I, well, I here, let me put it this way. I saw him being the solo operator, very pirate influency, but he does have that scrapping thing that he does for anyone who's going to pay him the money, whether that comes in the form of crystals or a barter system or whatever. Mm-hmm. He needs something, and you can give him that something. He will do whatever it takes to get it. Mm-hmm. Like he'd be a nuisance for the lightning dogs if yeah, they have to do like something, whatever. But then eventually down the line, when the lightning dogs got to get to Japan and meet the cats in Japan, they only know one guy with a boat. So they got to team up with him. And this is the first time that they're going to be have this unsteady sort of an uneasy alliance where he's got to get them to Japan. And this sort of like, uh, I don't want to say that I'm inspired by, but kind of like Captain Barbosa in that way, where it's at first he's just the bad guy. But then it's like, was like, oh, wait, now we need him to get us somewhere. I'm on much the same level because I've. I didn't realize it until now, but I've pictured Jeffrey Rush's voice coming out of his beak. <laughs> I, I don't want to go down that road too much, but yeah, I mean, he is a pirate. Captain Barbosa is the most interesting pirate in the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Mm-hmm. And I've been struggling to not draw from him. John Depp gets all the credit for those movies, but 
As far as I'm concerned, Jeffrey Rush is the real pirate. <laughs> I'm just inclined to acquiesce to your request. Means no. <laughs> oh, and now I realize I've been combining him and Davy Jones. And that's and, got some and, weird shark people on that boat, too. Right, you know? and, like, and, and then so we've got our own sea monster captain. So I wanted to both play to the tropes of pirates. And without then, ripping off with, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, exactly. I feel, though, that with the characters that we're looking at, because as strongly defined as Barbosa is, Barbosa had his own demons that he was chasing, he had mm-hmm. his own things that he was getting at. The archetype is more what speaks to me in terms of yeah. scrap. The fact that he is both a villain and then later on an, une- an uneasy ally and mm-hmm. perhaps a, a nuisance. But that when we first meet him as a villain, it's more just a conflict of interest mm-hmm. than it is any kind of vendetta. Or he's hired to do whatever. He's hired so, yeah, to do, it's not personal. And it's not even that he's necessarily hired to do a job against them, but he's hired to get something that the lightning dogs also need. Mm-hmm. So that first conflict doesn't arise from him engaging against them, but just chasing the same goal. That way we can have that antagonistic relationship while also not necessarily pitting them against each other on a personal level, just more, we can't let Scrap get this, we need it. And Scrap's like, well, if I don't get this, I don't get paid. Right. The other thing about Scrap, of what he represented, aside from him being, oh, I'm the guy who lives in the sea and I can also do stuff on the land, so he's bridging that gap. He also represents life outside of glampire's reign that there are other things going on other than just what glampire is controlling like he does represent life on the other side of the planet that they never get a chance to see because they're you know they're just stuck on the land here mm-hmm. and that's why if he becomes their guide to exploring the rest of the planet like later on season two season three whatever what have you he might show up in season one yeah and he'll bump up against him a couple times but then when it's like okay we need to go check out Ninja Cat Japan, for whatever reason, they meet up with him. He's the one who then can guide them for the, through the rest of the world to show you, oh, man, you think Lampire owns this whole planet? No, he doesn't own this whole planet. I can show you the world. Yeah, he's, he's, he's just, it's, it's the proof that this world is much bigger. Every step that the Lightning Dogs take, it just shows you the world is bigger than they thought. Exactly. Until eventually and the series ends, and then it goes into Lightning Dogs, Galaxy Rangers, spinoff, mm-hmm. whatever. You know, and then it's like the whole universe. So, so I and I do I, I've always kind of pictured him outside of that glampire bubble. So mm-hmm. whatever conflict they have with scrap is not directly related to it doesn't have to be no. what's going on with glampire glampire. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't have to be. That was simply the context that we originally presented him in. Right. So, all for that comic book. You know? yeah, <laughs> so well, it's, it's also what I started latching onto with the character was this more if we're going to describe it in, I guess, TV terms, he would have been a one off episode. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. the Robo Burbles. Yeah, sure. And then maybe would pop up later as we're going along. And the direction I came with him from was that if you're looking at a Masters of the Universe style toy line, you're going to get just these crazy adversaries and they're not all Skeletor's main goons. Mm -hmm. They're like from other storylines will produce this one-off character who may or may not be seen again. He's like Mm -hmm. the Rat King. Yeah, exactly. Or Baxter Stockman. Yes, yes. So that's what I was looking to create. And I mean, like, obviously he's compelling enough that we're having this big, larger conversation about him. But I'm in part comfortable with everything that's being said here i do think there's certain important elements that should really be maintained though like he's an enigmatic domineering figure and none of the people operating under him would ever be important but i do think it's important that he operates as a pirate does as a captain of a ship otherwise his his designation of captain means very little you know you and doug you mentioned uh davy jones having these crazy shark people Mm -hmm. there was a an image that flashed in my head as we said that the idea that sharks by and large are portrayed as these cold lifeless fish so the idea of maybe almost a necrotic well i wouldn't go necrotic just to stay away from the pirates but something where they are mindless where they follow his power 
Hmm. More like so, more like he's like running a circus of monkeys, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Where he he knows how to command this crew, and they'll listen to him. Yeah, mm. but they are not autonomous. They do not exist without his order. If I, <laughs> he mean all the all of his crew members. They're all weird mutant shark fish people. They only have a memory of about six seconds. Like, you know, Pretty much. At least any kind of a short-term memory. Right, right. Maybe, Get back no, to work. No, his first mate, though. I think right now his first mate has to be a goldfish and has to have a six-second memory. I thought you were going to say his first mate has to be a lobster. You With know? the antennas and the mind of and goldfish. The, and, just, and, as he, and he's got the claws, and, just, and every time he moves, it's... If your crew is entirely, entirely a, a, automatons, yeah, the most the first mate's uh, job yeah, going to do. No, yeah, there's, there's no He's point. He's out there to kick some ass. You know, I, I see at that, at that point, I see the first mate as, all right, so for this one, we're going to need a stealth mission. I got it, boss. Yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> I was going to say he's the first AD. He's the guy cracking the whip. Captain Scrap gives the order. He's the guy who makes it happen. I'm down with comedic relief, mutant crustaceans, aces. But I want to set some base here because like, we've stumbled into the hornet's nest. I, I thought we'd decided on it. We need to have at least a base of sentient creatures out there who are irking by in whatever kind mm-hmm. of lifestyles. Otherwise, there's no various economies to make the world feel alive yeah. or interesting. The only rule that we need to play by with lightning dogs, which I think in some ways this entire conversation has lost track of, is that we need to only do what's cool. True. And worry about explaining it later. True. Because like, if we want to have a pack of relatively mindless mole creatures that don't have a culture, not mm-hmm. as opposed to the ones that we, we talked about earlier that do, you know, then we do. So we do. Then that's fine. Every animal is not universally intelligent. Yeah. But if we want to have the ability to have the framing device we talked about for the scrap comic of it being a, a sort of tall tales inside of a seaside bar of like you're this Captain Scrap guy, here's what I've heard about him, then we need to be able to have creatures who are capable of having that conversation. Right, right. And basically all it boils down to is, you know, draw some cool, weird-looking... Sailory type s- dudes. Yeah, sea creature things or just stuff, weird mutants, and that's fine because what we've described here is we have a world where everything's genetics are fried. They have the capability to breed amongst themselves and create other completely different-looking Halloween abortions yeah, yeah. of various... Red you know, lobster abortions. <laughs> various intelligences and so on and it's whatever's cool whatever works for us whatever we think is interesting i dare say i think i've pinned down what my inspiration was for this sea world i guess you could say of, mm. of the ocean version of the lightning dogs earth the pirate culture that surrounds it i see it as being a mix of parts of the caribbean and i think the other side of that is muppet treasure island and now Go on I, this is you and i on the same page because Doug. Muppet Treasure Island has talking potatoes and talking beverage mugs and talking vegetables and sweetums, whatever the fuck he is. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but they're all considered normal in that universe. Uh They're all different pirates. Like, no one thinks twice about the fact that Long John Silver is a human. But his entire crew is a bunch of, like, there's literally dead Tom. He's a fucking skeleton. <laughs> that's that's short, it. dead Tom. Dead, dead Tom's, Tom's dead. dead. <laughs> but dead Tom's always been dead. That's why he's called dead Tom. Oh. <laughs> he just drops the body. I mean, it's, so that's silly, of course. But I'm saying, like, there's levels of weird freak mutant things that no one thinks twice about. Even in Pirates of the Caribbean, they're considered monsters and freaks. Right. They're, they're <clears throat> out of the ordinary. Right. In Muppets... 
that is the ordinary. That's yeah. the that's the average world. Yeah, no, I mean, and this should be completely ordinary. The, the world of peopleoids, you're never going to recoil in shock. You might, in fact, if you ever did, it would be because whatever you're seeing is someone too, did so, something is actually horrific. beautiful. Yeah, like or, or, or yeah, or, or like, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Like, Oi, what's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your face is so uh, what's it called symmetrical? Yeah, so smooth. <laughs> Oi, look at this smooth face. <laughs> I don't know that that kind of off the wall. Humor is not necessary, but... Actually, I think the humor is necessary, at least to an extent. Well, yeah. I'm not saying it's, it can't be funny. I'm just saying the humor is not the goal. No, I got you. I need to show you the, the person I am drawing right now. I was thinking of mollusks, and I just had this idea. What is that? It it's looks a, like a cloister from Pokemon, but like like on somebody's shoulders with a well, big tongue. Explain, explain what I'm looking at. Okay, what what, what we're looking at is barnacles have tongues. I did not know that. Barnacles have tongues that are like eight times longer than their body. What? That's how they do their thing. That's that's how they eat. I have know? no. I do not. You're telling. I have no idea. So, <laughs> so this is the idea behind this Zardy, character sounds like an alien creature. Says the guy me. who lives by the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> I don't the, live on the ocean. <laughs> the idea behind this creature and Cap, you challenged me to draw some crazy off the wall people to populate this bar with. Sure did. And I had the idea that one of them would be sitting there during this all this discussion. Who is nothing but a tongue? There's no other way for him to communicate. Just so just all of a sudden, a barnacle head, <laughs> and then and somebody. Every, is, everyone listens really intently, and it's like, anyone know what, what the hell he's saying? <laughs> exactly. No, that is that is the two three panel break that I have right there you, between. You think? Oh, I don't understand it, but they can like Chewy. They like they realize. No, they don't understand what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> and he's the only one who gets it right. Mm-hmm. He's when you're sitting there going, you know, if you really want to know anything about Captain Scrap, he's going to be here in about five minutes. He'll tell you himself. So let's talk about Captain Scrap. His shell, I didn't really draw the back of him. Basically, all I drew was some, some lines indicating that there was like a shell scrap back yeah. there, like some jagged metal. Which you said something the other day where it's essentially that his shell has been so damaged where he has then made a patchwork <laughs> shell over top of it where he and that is one of the things he's trawling for he's trying to find things to to rebuild and build his shell i drew him with these like rob liefeld belts and pockets and shit because i also i'm still taking inspiration from mad max and one of the big things that was kind of harped on in terms of the production design for fury road was the fact that you could believe that everybody who's running one of these rigs knows how to fix things on the fly. Like the fact that Furiosa on her belt and along all of her other shit, along with her gun, has tools. Like, oh, you're a black thumb? She's just like, yeah. Mm -hmm. like, knows how to handle it. Yeah, she knows yeah. how to handle it. So I picture Scrap being the same thing, that his boat is springing leaks constantly, is always on the cusp of falling apart, and were it not for him, it would. So he's got to have the tools to fix it. To me, that's the the Han Solo influence. A little bit, yeah. Not yeah. And much the same, you know, the whole, like, she only works for me sort of thing. And then also, because we're talking about his shell being all, like, fucked up from all the different stuff that he's had to go through. Mm -hmm. And I was picturing the truly horrific tales of, like, turtles who get caught in refuse when they're babies and then, like, grow, their shell just kind of grows through. I, I imagined it was because he took one too many dives where he shouldn't and one of those giant kaijus shoot him up for a bit and spit him out. Well, yeah, there's that work too. too. I mean, I'm, I'm picturing both. Uh, he's not... It's, it's not just one I event mean, that it's, cracked his it's shell. A, it's a good opportunity for us to both reference, you know, horrific environmental disasters as well as our preposterous science fiction disasters. Absolutely. So I was kind of thinking of just how we can do that, just have this mangled-ass shell with some, like, steel parts grafted onto it. Maybe a giant water cannon on the back, Blastoise. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Imagine, you know, your, your shell gets cracked. 
you're in the scrap business. Yep. So naturally, what you do is you're like, well, I, you know, this is Gotta this is awful. Like, yeah. let's I'll just you know clamp down on this uh, this rotten wood. Even and, Max and have put some, a leg have somebody brace. like you know rivet you know just like, <laughs> like screw some rivets in your shell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a big weird kind of bone thing on your back, so it can't be that awful. We're in total agreement there. The other stuff was I was going to start decorating them out with some tattoos, kind of get back to that superstitious element. Piratey voodoo. Piratey voodoo yeah. type stuff. That's kind of cool, yeah. I don't know if tattoos are the, the right thing. We might want to go with scars. Well, like sailors, scarf, well, sailors figure, and tattoos kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, but I mean, well, I'm talking about like like turtle aesthetics. You can't tattoo a turtle. Well, the way that I was picturing can, it, well, it would, a turtle. it would appear as tattoos. Mm-hmm. What if that it's same like, sort of that, idea, but it was essentially like cracks and shit in his shell that he has then painted. These are not things that last, necessarily, but these are things that he does to himself. A little more like war paint sort of thing? A little more like uh, tying a little bit into war paint. Again, a little bit into like some superstitious type deal Mm -hmm. that, you know, I paint this on myself for safety while I'm at sea, so forth and so on. Waterproof paint, of course. I mean, he's not an animal. Mm -hmm. He's an animal. But, you know, after we started talking about him, and I'm starting to think about how I could put an official design down, those are the things that started rustling my jimmies. Those are the ones that were just like, mm, you know, I, I can create a proper turtle pirate. Try and stay a, away from Ninja Turtles. Right. Because it's so easy. Mm-hmm. It really is. They've got a wealth of turtle characters to just draw from. And I mean, hell, even with talking about a fucked up shell, it's, it's easy to kind of drift towards Spike territory. Now, okay. Well, By here, Spike, you mean Slash. I do. Here's a, um, another thing to, to keep in mind. I'm assuming because he's of the ocean and we keep saying turtle, he is a sea turtle. Yes. We're just going to have to make sure the design of the beak and the head kind of says sea turtle and not ninja turtle, which I've never, we've never had that problem yet, but. I was looking at that. Needs to be a square, kind of more angular head. Needs to have a sharper beak because that's what they got. Big eyes, too. Sea turtles, they got flippers instead of like legs. They also don't have hands. Right. So I figure at that point we can just say fuck it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we can go the um, the asymmetrical route that playmates often did, where like you know one hand doesn't look like the other, and this rule would apply to anything. On Scumbug, for example, the Roach character, one hand was uh, was three crazy looking alien fingers, and the other hand was a complete human hand. That was you know more disturbing than the alternative of making it asymmetrical. So you know if one of Scrap's hands has like more fingers than the other. And, you know, like one of them kind of looks like Penguin from Batman Returns. Yeah. That's an option. Yeah. Well, I mean, are are we still going with the idea that he only has one hand anyway? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. True. Yeah. From a design aspect, we got a lot to play with with Scrap. Yeah. If we only got one hand and he's got a little flipper hand, that's something he could still use to swim with. And the other hand is an interchangeable sword or hook or or uh, whatever. Or he could even attach a propulsion device to it underwater as needed. Crystal powered propeller. I had a little bit of problems there at the first. Because all of us, I was just, I turned left the entire time. <laughs> As for the character, I'm really surprised by all the amounts of differing opinions on Scrap. Well, it's because we never discussed it in depth. We all just had our own yeah. take on it. Right. We, all we, we assumed that we were all on the same page. Yeah. Because we were all looking at the same drawing and we're like, on the same page. <laughs> Captain Scrap. Oh, yeah. Captain Scrap. He's got the oceans. Yeah, that yeah. was the that was every yeah, single discussion yeah. we've had before this, and it wasn't until we said, you know what, let's 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 do a nice little four page comic about Captain Scrap. And it's interesting because I think the the one thing that I question the most is how much Scrap would put himself in danger at this point anymore, like as far as doing solo dives or something to that extent. Yeah, maybe not anymore. Yeah, no, he absolutely does. He's a junkie. That's what he does. But if he's got a crew and he's got a way to sort of scrape the bottom with his boat. 
I mean, sometimes you if know. you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Right. But I see him. I see him doing it recreationally and getting it for baubles for himself. He doesn't do kind of the day to day anymore. And if there is something that goes on, for example, this one where he does meet the lightning dogs, perhaps. And we can even have that scene that if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself, where he sent his minions to go out and get this one piece of scrap that he's been chasing I, that I, the dogs I think also maybe need. I'm thinking of an older character than no, I'm still of. I'm still picturing him older. I just see him as turtles are really fucking old. Yeah. Yeah. You know. nah, he's he's centuries old, which it might be one of the reasons he doesn't give a shit about Glampire. I just also see him as being that sort of old man who doesn't give a fuck, who will sit there and do what the young man proclaims to do and do it better. Do you think it's interesting if he's past his prime? As far as anyone else is concerned, he's past his prime. He's kind of done it. Like all those legends about him mm-hmm. when he was a young sailor. He was a young turtle. And now he's, I mean, yeah, he's kind of a legend at this point among other, you know, uh, privateers and pirates. I would paint him as weathered, but not past his prime. My, others might say he is. That's what I'm saying. Okay, they yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I have no problem with the public opinion. Because this whole, this idea that we had been talking about where, you know, there are these stories, the disbelief has to be not just because it couldn't be done, but because mm-hmm. Scrap wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, where'd you get that story? Oh, it just happened last week. I heard it from me, mate. There's no way. Scrap hasn't climbed down off of his giant heap for the past 10 years and everybody knows it. He's washed up. That shell He's crawled is- into his shell and hasn't come out since. Well, it's funny you'd mention that there, lad. I was thinking about coming out, Michelle, and you've just given me a fine reason. No, turn to look, he's in the doorway. And then he goes in the coming out of their shell tour. <laughs> Listen, you motherfuckers, I told you I wasn't going on that damn thing with you. I ain't saying a shanty since I was your size. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I, I, I do think, like Cap brings up, if he doesn't have people on his ship, he's not really a captain if he's completely by himself. Mm-hmm. And if we go with a mindless sort of crew that he sort of takes care of, almost like, again, I'm seeing the Han Solo and Chewie kind of thing, where Chewie's not mindless by any stretch, but the idea of 
he does care about them, sort of like pets. Where if one of them got hurt, he'd be like, "Oh damn it!" You know, like it would have. They, yeah. And he's like has to calm them down or something. You know, just bit. like so the idea that he is ruling over them, they are kind of dumb lug a beast, if you will. You know, kind of, the, <laughs> kind of. They're they're just muscle. No, you know? that is that is lug a beast. I really like that term. Yeah. Well, that's that's, that's from that's Star from Wars episode seven. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> we don't we don't know in that. Mindless or not, they're not necessarily items to even bother to focus on. They can mm -hmm. just be crew members that scamper around and do stuff. We don't need to even really show that. Which, mm -hmm. oh, that, that could be an interesting angle for him. So he's at the, the head of this fairly substantial crew now. And to your point, Cap, he doesn't have to go out and do things anymore. He doesn't have to trawl for the scrap that he's bringing in unless it's a personal project, but he still wants to. That's still who he is. It's like that person who who is really good at their job so he gets promoted into a management position or promoted to like a president or something like that where he's doing more desk work than he is the field work but hates it are you saying that's not what he's, he's good at he's tony montana i guess he could be i am 100 percent okay with him being the pirate tony montana just so like, am i it's like it just i i think just that it's like i got two things in this world my word and my shell and I don't break neither of them for nobody. <laughs> it's like, I think that's the attitude that rings true to me. I'm, I'm entirely down with that. A self-made man. You know, he's at the pinnacle. And it's just, if other pirates want to take him down, he's just like, I'm still standing. I, I'm still standing. He's on his fucking boat and they're just trying to shank him with shit. And he just, he's old and he's at the top, but no one's taking him down. Exactly. He is still better than half the people out there a fourth his age. Yeah. He just doesn't have to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. He's risen to that point, but it eats at him because that's what he does. He's Captain Scrap. Mm -hmm. He didn't earn that nickname by just sitting somewhere. Right. He doesn't. He doesn't really like being the boss as he liked to be to be the guy kicking ass and taking names. I, I kind of look at it as, as as him being an affectionate nuisance. Again, tying back to the Barbosa thing, because everybody mm -hmm. loves seeing Barbosa show yeah. up on oh, screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the best he, part of the second movie. And the third movie. <laughs> and even the fourth movie. He was the only part of the fourth movie. He was movie in the fourth get, movie? Unfortunately. I didn't even see the he fourth movie. He was part I of the Navy. there was a fourth movie. You know, I imagine Scrap on one of his, you know, various ships. He's still overseeing stuff. He's still, like, active. But I just don't see him, like, doing that work until maybe someone has really antagonized him. I picture him as being bored at the top. Uh, again, Tony Montana. Exactly. So when the lightning dogs step in... He might initially be angry, but he looks at this more as an opportunity to get back into doing what he loves to do, get his hands dirty, get in there. So at the end of it, whoever wins. Or if they just accidentally screwed him over on a deal, like you just incurred the wrath of this guy that you don't even know that you again, like the lightning dogs are stumbling around. They accidentally piss off Glampire. Yeah. If they somehow think, oh, we got to take down Glampire is getting a shipment of crystals or some shit. We got to stop that from happening. But you just screwed over an exchange that he was going to have with Captain Scrap. And now Glampire's like, oh, well, I'll let him handle that. Dear Captain, I'm sorry. You seem to have uh, misplaced your cargo of, of whatever. And it's just, but I think I could tell you who was involved. And he mentions the lightning dogs. The next thing you know, Scrap's like, you know, it's going to stop at nothing to get that shit back. Yeah, I still want to keep him away from Glampire. I do. I want him to exist. Because, I mean, yeah. the, the whole, again, we've got the whole world out there. We don't need to tie him back in any way, shape, or form. To, Doesn't have to. to. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, really, that, that boils down to how early we want to get him in there. Because uh, there's going to be sort of a singular focus for a time, I imagine, on, on the, the primary conflict. No, absolutely. I, just, I also just kind of look at it as, you know, Scrap has an option. He can either craft his fortune in the rest of the fucking world, mm -hmm. or he can deal with this douchebag. Right. And he's like, fuck it. I got the oceans. Mm -hmm. That's his domain. 
He's not necessarily the Lord, but people give. But he's it's, Tony Montana. You know, yeah, it's like he's, he's 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 one of the linchpins that make this shit work. Exactly. And it, it's funny. I can't explain fully why, but I don't want it to be a conflict where they screw him over. To me, I feel like it needs to be a singular goal that they're both pursuing to where it's boiled down to a competition as opposed to a head-to-head. Well, I think one of the, the big factors that's going to be pivotal to tying Scrap's fate to the Lightning Dogs and to Glampires, for that matter, is that he, as a salvager, is the one who's most capable of finding anything from a coastal city that would have been of, of grave importance. Like, crystals, sure... But everyone knows the crystals on Earth are, you know, not like, you know, kind of kind of piss poor. So tech. So, yeah, like, te- and it could have been something it could have been something that Wolfman has identified through a network that had just been activated because Scrap is excavating and maybe even one of his excavating tools is to create almost like a, a an undersea bubble for easier transport as opposed to moving through the sea. No, that doesn't make any sense because he's a turtle. But something that it has been activated again. And that's where the lightning dogs discover that this is something that they need to go get in order to either repair the far fetch or give wolfman greater capabilities or fuck change a tire who knows and that's when they start chasing after it they find scraps crew they think it's glampire's crew they fuck up that crew if scrap is introduced as just a random villain of the week that's fine as far as like a cartoon or a podcast is concerned because we know that oh we got other plans for him sure but for when the lightning dogs first bump into him yeah it could be as simple as they want a piece of technology to help repair the farfetch Mm-hmm. And there's a company that was on a coastal city that is now half underwater, just happens to be the port town of Captain Scrap. And they have to infiltrate and they have to get their thing. And they're stealing something that Captain Scrap wants. Or maybe he's using it for something else. He's using yeah. it for an ulterior purpose. And they take it and they just incur the wrath of Captain Scrap and they have to escape. And then, of course, eventually over the end of the episode, they get what they need and they're one step closer to building a far fetch or using the sink to defeat Glampire. And they've made a new enemy. And he can come back whenever or never, you yeah. know, it's and, just one of those things. And there you go. As long as we, you know, get him started and that's, that's all we really need. So as far as like nailing down aesthetics for him as a character, how tall are, we don't even know how tall some of these lightning dogs are. We know how tall they are in comparison to each other, but I'm assuming they're like human height, you know, I, I, yeah, I imagine Pierre, I, like six, five, six, six without the Afro with mm-hmm. the Afro, he's eight feet tall. I mean, <laughs> I, I drew a, a size chart of the, the lightning dogs. Without numbers, but yeah. I, can... I pictured Captain Scrap being taller than me. Like, I, like he would like be maybe intimidating. He, he five, sh- five, 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 six. Be, you know, he should be domineering. So like some kind of an average. I'm five, nine. So I'd imagine, I imagine him being like already I, almost six foot tall. I mean, it, the, the joke isn't going to be his height. His height shouldn't really be a, a, ever a concentration on something. Because like if the Ninja Turtles, for example, the Ninja Turtles were short mm-hmm. in most incarnations of them, as opposed to the fucking giants in Michael Bay's fucking movie. Mm-hmm. But like they often. I, I actually pictured him being closer to that size. In in my head, it's not so much that he's tall; he's broad. Mm-hmm. He should be able to look Dingo in the eye, at least. Yeah, yeah. That, that that's really my criteria: is is how is it going to look when he's oh. facing off against somebody? Yeah, body wise, other than the missing sword arm thing, I pictured him more like the Michael Bay turtles, because I mean they look like junk thrown together. You know, <laughs> I mean, no, come on, really? I mean, it's like they they do look like freaks. They do look like roided out freaks. He's Makes sense to lips. me. No, he's not going to have lips. He's going to have a beak, but but. Minus the head, body-wise, I basically pictured him like that. I mean, if you look at the Michael Bay turtles, they are covered in human technology yeah. junk shit thrown together. They and found can, in a sewer. You can see a little bit of that. Again, a little bit more of the pirate flair. I just... Yeah. Whereas they... Because another thing, that if we're going back to the Bay turtles, they've got, I guess you call it a Dorito shape, broad shoulder, 
tiny waist. He's more solid than that. More yeah, solid. Yeah. He's a brawler. Mm-hmm. If, if you were looking at it in musculature, he wouldn't be a bodybuilder. He'd be a bouncer. Because what a bouncer has is kind of a musculature that it's not ripped. It's not defined. That's not what they build for. They build for strength. They build their core. And Scrap is someone who's tough at the core. Pants or yeah. no pants? Uh, pants. I think pants, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because like you're you're looking at the world of lightning dogs. I mean, I, I'm just imagining the drawing I did without pants on, like it, with the same turtle anatomy that say a, a ninja turtle had, and it's like it looked like fucking Donald. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm wearing a shirt. Where's my fucking pants? And then the shirt gets lost, and he covers himself up for some reason. I mean, granted, Howard the Duck originally no pants, but that was because he was a parody of a Disney cartoon. Yeah, and the only reason I ask is it's one of those things that it could go either way. I don't necessarily picture him with a top just because the shell doesn't necessarily lend itself. Because that's when you get into those weird parts of like turtle anatomy. It's like, okay, so the shell, does, does he have a back and then the shell too? Or is the shell his back? Is that his rib cage on the outside? How do turtle? I think I did draw him with a coat on. I think he would still look good with it, but we'd have to figure like, okay, so his coat has slices in it because he puts the coat on over the shell. Uh, How fastened? <laughs> Is it like a smock where you wear it from the front? You put it on over the spikes, and the spikes have rip holes in the back, oh, and you're okay, like, all gotcha. right, I'm good. Let's rip the holes in the back. We're good. Aces. Now, that could work, but it's not the most practical. <laughs> but if, <laughs> if being shirtless is his destiny, I don't want him to look like He-Man, you know? No. Oh, hell no. No. What I picture is more that he has decorated himself with other sorts of belts. Like, like the that's, Michael Bay Turtles. That's got a, a warrior thing. I guess, I guess. We can shift away from the warrior to an extent. Because one thing that it does tie back to is, I guess for lack of a better term, people like Queequeg from uh-huh. Ahab. You know, these are, these are still nautical people. They're tribal. They've got a little bit more of that seafaring. It's a seafaring warrior, which I don't feel is necessarily the right but it's, he's, it's not he's the right Ahab. Field. He's not Queequeg. I understand. No, it's it's a little bit of a disconnect, but we can still tie in a little bit more of that nautical. We can just have him with like bangles and, and necklaces and rings and shit. Because I also, I don't want to lose that superstition where he's like just, no, nah, the wind's not right to go sailing today. Just to have the, the, the seafarers like weird knowledge and all that doesn't mean that you necessarily paint I, designs on your chest. I think it does for I, I want it to be for scrap. Superstitious. I, I can see it being superstitious. I think that's cramming too much into his aesthetic. We've got his scrap shell, which is gonna be like the focal point of any action figure or whatever. We've got his general pirate motif and the fact that he's a turtle, and that's just one more thing we're heaping on top of it. Like if we want to have somebody with designs on him, make that fucking lobster dude paint all over himself, you know? That's true. Done. Yeah, yeah. No, done. I am absolutely I am entirely like fine the, with him the just lob- like- because the lobster dude is Queequeg. You see what I'm okay, saying? Okay, no, now we got it. Now we got no, because and especially sitting there, why are you painting all over yourself again? It makes me feel safe on the sea. <laughs> <laughs> what are you but fucking like, Morocco like, now? The, 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 the lobster boy, he's like, it's like a, it's like a war boy, you know, like uh, Immortan Joe. He's like, yeah, you, you, you guys do whatever. Shiny and chrome boys. He yeah, I got it. He looked at me, right at me. <laughs> he was scanning the horizon. <laughs> This character is so much fun right now. And that's where we left Captain Scrap. For now. Though the comic never got made, this conversation was a critical component in cementing Scrap's place among the first generation of supporting cast members in the series. We'll be developing him even more in future episodes, and as it turns out, clashing again where the three of us continue to have very different ideas about the character. But 
Before putting a bow on this episode, I did have one more thing, a question I wanted to pose. If Glampire knows the full history of humanity's rise and fall, what about the artificial intelligences? Do they know? Absolutely. Uh, they should. I mean, I, I believe our explanation for Wolfman was that he was meant to be He's so incomplete. rudimentary. Yeah. yeah, He was never designed to seek that out. And the AI would be various functions, but we, we, have, we, I mean, we have two discussions on the AI. One is that it's a full colony of all the highest functioning artificial intelligence mm-hmm. that was left in the world. And the other was that maybe the artificial intelligence that was truly high functioning has already left the world. And what's left over are those who, who didn't make the grade which solidifies the world as still being an island of misfits, effectively. Mm -hmm. But either way, presumably they would still be high-functioning enough to know enough about what happened with humans. And uh, hypothetically, by the time the lightning dogs interact with them in that capacity, they could share with them the details, and perhaps even through connecting with the AI, do the lightning dogs actually start to get the better, bigger picture of what happened. Mm -hmm. And just an interesting sidestep, we've discussed that the only information that Wolfman really has is like dedications and traffic reports and weather reports. And it would be interesting, maybe for a later episode or something like that, to have them exploring his last recorded dedications. Because what, what would that sound like? What would the end of the world sound like through traffic and song dedications? I, I, Obviously, I always, traffic, would, traffic would be backed up and then all of a sudden there'd be none. Yeah. And there would be dedications going out to, if you can hear this, know that we still love you. Well, I, I always imagined that it was more because of his spotty memory. It's just like, Wolfman, can you tell us like what happened? Where'd, all, where'd everybody go? And he's like, I don't know. I don't remember. And it's like, how could you not remember? You were there. He's like, oh, yeah. I remember on August 4th, we were doing this and everything was fine. Then I have no records until, you know, uh, you turn me one, on? one year later. And then everything's quiet. Preserving the mystery of what happened and not hearing human voices unless you're hearing music or mm-hmm. seeing a movie or something like that. And when they get to the Antarctica robots, I imagined, well, yeah, the robots would definitely know the details about what happened, but I don't want the, their function just to be a story dump, mm-hmm. you know, and... Though not necessarily the worst use for them either. Right. But I'm thinking that if they're the only people that would, other than Glampire, that would know what, what happened, so they would have to give the Lightning Dogs this information at the appropriate time, so they'd be sort of late in the game, and they're at their lowest point when they meet the Antarctic robots. You don't really trust them at first, but then they do become one of the first like major allies, and then they learn the truth, and they help them get back on their feet. Kind of, I'm trying to think of, it, of an example. Fuck it, I'm going to use the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles example of uh, when they leave, they go to the farmhouse. Upstate New York. They're just going further yeah. and further and further upstate until yeah. they hit the Arctic. Yeah, yeah. Until, well, they, they, until when they have to recoup at the farmhouse and get rededicated to the cause, and then learn a little bit of truth, and then they go back in. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I'm seeing the function of the Antarctic robots right now. Did we make them Tibet, or was that just a proposal? That was a proposal. Instead of in the Antarctic, what if they were in uh, Everest. On, on Everest? Yeah. And, like, they dug out Everest, and there's, like, a huge fucking city, which would be fucking really... That'd be really cool. And, like, you talk about, like, the Tibetan prayer flags, solar panels and stuff. Like, yeah. that's, all, that's all really cool stuff. I'm down for either, really. It just depends. Maybe Antarctica is, like, their secret base where they launched their satellite into space when they, you know, if part yeah. of them left the Earth. That would be where you would do it from. That's far out of Glampire's sight you know so yeah. he's not even aware that they did that and i'm always imagined that the robots since they remember what happened and they have since gained intelligence like they, they didn't really get full intelligence until humans were already gone so they much like the lightning dogs feel a responsibility to stopping glampire 
because it's like if you awoke in a world and found out that oh it was destroyed by this bad guy and the people who made you are dead but they were good and they did good things you know what i'm saying let's yeah. like so, so to sort of give the robots an angle the artificial intelligence give it an angle for what does it want what's it trying to do and if its goal is okay well we need to stop glampire because if he were to leave this planet our job is we're going to keep him on this planet and we're going to try to kill him but our number one goal is we have to stop him so the easiest thing to do is just try and keep him on this planet and keep him from getting off world and if we keep sending an assassin droid once a month or once every six months or something to go and try and kill him it's likely to fail but fuck it it's worth the effort because we need to keep trying we can't give up they're robots you know that doesn't take much effort for them to do that in the meantime, they can build their own rocket. They're going to launch it up into space, and it's going to start looking for answers outside. And I don't know. Maybe maybe the artificial intelligence accidentally or maybe intentionally started the far-fetched up the lightning dogs here, or the diamond dogs. Well, that's an interesting thought. Because if they're looking for answers outside, and they discover enough evidence to suggest that humans went to other planets, and their first goal may be to try and call back the masters, but then the bad masters show up instead, like later, and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, we got the signal from the home beacon artificial intelligence thing that says that there's something to come back for. That might overcome like it's it's interesting. It might, it I'm might, just throwing, I'm just spitballing stuff. Yeah. So you know, I think that as far as their their attitude goes, like I agree, they should for sure have an agenda. I've kind of been considering the possibility that they themselves might have a, a not implicitly but somewhat religious vibe to them. Like they have their own sort of beliefs over why they were either gifted or cursed with consciousness in the light of everything else, and what their you may call sacred duty mm-hmm. is which could be you know like keeping glampire imprisoned on this world and whatever mythology they've constructed for themselves out of the facts of the world but like how they choose to interpret the actual events as they happened this is our go-to um, command <laughs> there, there's a sort of a kindred element to the lightning dogs humanity created them mm-hmm. and then humanity was in turn destroyed mm-hmm so what does that mean for those who have been left behind? And in the case of these robots, the ones who like actually existed on this world, the lightning dogs were, were the accidental abandoned children who come home, but these robots have been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a different kind of, of orphan story. Right. And again, I'm, I'm starting to see these parallels between the lightning dogs and the Antarctic robots, but also the plant creature and its whole thing. Each of these things represents different sides, and the lightning dogs can sort of relate to each of them for different reasons. Like, yeah. And you, and you also have nature and technology. You know, it's like, and they're, they're all against Glampire, and they're more for like restoring a balance, but for different reasons. So I think there's an interesting thing that can happen between these, starting at least with these three groups, lightning dogs, robots, plant people. Like yeah. there's, there's a definite thing that can be said there. Especially if lightning dogs want to start saying we got to take on Glampire where we have to work together. And the robots are like, we can't work with the plant people. How do we relate to them? And the plant people are like, oh, like, how, the, how the heck are we supposed to relate to, that, to, the, to the metal, you know, ripped from the ground and given different consciousness? You know, it's like we have nothing in common. And then it's just like, well, the lightning dogs are simultaneously like both. They are natural. They are animals that grew. They are alive. But they also have technology. So they're they're kind of that middle, you know what I'm saying? Like they're Mm -hmm. kind of like that middle ground that can relate to both at the same time, even though both of those extremes couldn't relate to each other. Yeah. Had an idea, because we've discussed the plant people, and of course there was the the almost Native American potato people that Mm -hmm. we had discussed. What if the plant people and the potato people were related, where that was almost their god, where especially since its consciousness is broken, it's, it's shattered, it is almost 
controlled, say, through, say, rituals mm-hmm. or prayers or what have you that could be done almost in that sort of tribal nature. Because you mentioned, you know, the robot people saying, oh, we can't talk to the plant people. How do we relate? Mm-hmm. There's no talking to a tree right. that is mindless and attacking you because right. you are artificial. Mm-hmm. However, if there is someone who speaks for the trees, a Lorax, mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm then we could have that conversation. We could have them be the mediators between these two. Having that, that our plant hero be introduced through these like potato people, for lack of a better name, I is, like, is, I is like interesting. The potatoids. I like the potatoids. The Man. Spudniks. The Spudniks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but have, having the plant hero introduced to the lightning dogs through the Spudniks is interesting. I think like that sounds like a reasonable thing as opposed to just they're just out in the woods and they pee on a tree and then it's like how dare you i am the king of the woods it's kind of what but if it's introduced in this way where they're sort of not 100 percent mindless but they're very primitive in their communication but yet they pray to this thing that's like a deity and they witness like a flower suddenly sprout out of the ground and bloom because they're praying to it they're like yeah. this is some sort of communication like what are they doing here and then suddenly a voice erupts from this thing that's like the speaker of the tree and you can hint at you can hint at this greater consciousness that we don't see for another two seasons and oh, then and it's not just a voice not just a voice that comes say from the flowers the, the speaker the speaker of the tribe yeah the roots that yeah. would be popping out would all sure. of a sudden like jerk into the ground yeah and he would be consumed by release me pretty much (laughs) but it would also that speaker is then used yeah i can see that i can see that working and the lightning i was like what the fuck is going on like they're completely this is so alien to them and that way we still get the idea that this is an extremely powerful creature yes and it is only through its communion with this sputnik Mm -hmm. that it is able to have a voice to have a mind Mm -hmm. aside from being just nature Mm mm-hmm because otherwise it is it is damaged it is broken mm-hmm. a little bit of uh, james cameron's avatar in there not intentional i know but i'm not saying it's a good thing that we're drawing from that i'm just saying it's a good idea that just so happens to, to have, coincide with the terrible to coincide movie. with that yeah the nature spirit which i guess when we when we were saying plant people we really mean the lone entity we created yeah when i say plant hero that's what i'm saying yeah there's so many ways to potentially approach that character and it's not a character that is distinctly a character in and of itself it doesn't have an attitude. It's more man thing than swamp thing, but at the same time, it has all the thoughtfulness of swamp thing, but without the interest in expressing itself in the same yeah. kind of. It doesn't have an individuality. Right. It is very collective. Which we'll is where. Call him Kale the charred body. <laughs> Which is. Peace and thank you. How. how God damn. Uh, <laughs> how how the, the lightning dogs and whichever lightning dog ends up interacting with it the most can influence it because it's a chaos. Its language is beyond language, and its intentions are above the intentions of the surface dwellers. And the lightning dogs will be put in a position where they're able to broaden its horizons on what is possible. But first they have to fight, mm-hmm. you know. So we'll see. Maybe it develops in its own way into something different and unique, but it is a force beyond that. So having that, that, that interaction between the Spudniks which I think is a good, I think is a good name. Like yeah. it's kind of yeah. Like, uh, I'm I'm for it. I'm for they, it. They they probably wouldn't necessarily name themselves. We'll but, call them the Spudniks, but but, but the, the lightning dogs will call them who knows. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I'm saying that like the lightning dogs might be like oh these these little like, Spudnik guys like you know and yeah. they'll like and they'll so and that's, that's what it says on the toy yeah. right no, and oh. it, that's and that's what that's what the lightning dogs refer to them as because the things they don't even call themselves anything. Yeah. Now, it could it could even be a parody of the majority of conversations that happened with me where the the jokey character <laughs> Pierre said, Pierre just goes it's like like some kind of 
Spudnik. <laughs> so and everybody's like, like, Pierre, what the fuck? Really? Pierre. Just, 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 just like, what? You're afraid they're going to hear me? <laughs> it's like, it's like, or they even just sit there and they don't have it, any ears. <laughs> it's like, well, what else are we going to call them? And the name just sticks. <laughs> yeah, I can see Art that. imitating uh, life. Yeah, yeah. I'm seeing the, the Spudniks as a mixture between a slightly devolved Ewok culture and a little bit further ahead than the apes at the beginning of 2001 A Space Odyssey. I was picturing a little bit more culture than that. I mean, I would say Ewok level or even a little bit beyond because they have a society. True. They have True. a society. They have a hierarchy. I think putting them squarely at Ewoks is probably safe. Ewoks, after all, could be simple ground bears, but they managed to build themselves a home in the trees. Mm-hmm. They did. And take out the empire. Mm-hmm. It's dumb luck, but all right. <laughs> luck is not. Okay. It's, the way, it's the will of the force. Uh huh. I'm also going to point out that luck is nothing but preparation meeting opportunity. <laughs> it's just, you know, the rabbit by the side of the road that couldn't become the hero. You know? In the next episode, we reconvene with Max and develop some new concepts to pave the way for the Lightning Dog's vehicle designs. In fact, Max is curious how much you'd like to know about the design process. If there's interest, he's offered to assemble an article series offering more in-depth details on how the vehicles came to be. If that sounds cool to you, let us know. Comment on the forums on this episode's page, tweet at us, message us on Facebook or Patreon. Oh yeah, and speaking of Patreon, we have some big news. You did it. Thanks to all of your generous support, we've reached our first goal, $200 a month. That ensures that we can keep developing Lightning Dogs without losing money. It covers our average business expenses and the cost of paying for the work of freelance artists like Max. We're proud to run with a pack as amazing as you, and we wanted to give you all a massive Beast Hound-sized thank you, as well as a hearty welcome to the new members of the pack who tipped the scales and made this possible. Please welcome Robert Pratt and Wolfboy. Our next Patreon goal is $500, and if we're able to sustain that tier for two months, we'll be able to pay for Gargoyles creator Greg Wiseman to review our pitch bible. We'll be saving up money as we go, working to reach that goal sooner. And once we've finally spoken with Greg, we can use the future funds to pay for even more art and special projects. For example, having our logo brought to life in a classic 80s style animation, shiny chrome effects, and everything. Then there's our biggest goal yet, freeing me from my day job. I'd be working full-time on Lightning Dogs, not just pushing our goal of creating animation and comics forward, but also ensuring that the official podcast comes out weekly. To tag back to the conversation that kicked off this episode, yes, doing some kind of comics work is still very much at the top of our to-do list, along with creating some short pieces of animation showing our characters in motion. What we're doing with Lightning Dogs is very uncharted territory. We're coming at an industry from the outside, and with this podcast, are creating an introductory experience that's not even in the same medium as to what our end goal would be. Understandably, it can sound kind of confusing. As we work towards the goal of making more visual content so new fans have an easier way to discover Lightning Dogs, we're going to need your help more than ever. There's the ways we always encourage, like telling a friend about Lightning Dogs, or rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. But there's another way, too. You can join the Lightning Dogs street team. You'll find a link at lightningdogs.com, as well as posted up on our Patreon where you can download and print your own Lightning Dogs posters and flyers. We've got both full-color and black-and-white versions, so you can bring the thunder to your favorite cons, nerd hangouts, community bulletin boards, or telephone poles. Check it out, and if you take it to the streets, feel free to send us pictures of your conquests. And if you really want to look the part, you might also consider picking up a Lightning Dogs t-shirt, so you'll look extra official. Now, don't let us limit your creativity with ways to wave the Lightning Dogs flag. For example, we recently got a package from Onua. 
he made wearable Perler badges of the Lightning Dogs emblem. If you want a Lightning Dogs Perler badge for your own, maybe he'll make one for you. I don't know, but he's got a lot of nerdy wearable Perler art on his Etsy page. Just search for Happy Masked Rider. We'll post a picture of the badge and we'll link to his store on this episode's page. Last, but definitely not least, Cap, Tony, and I did our first interview about Lightning Dogs. We appeared on the best comics podcast in this galactic quadrant, War Rocket Ajax, hosted by comics authors Chris Sims and Matt Wilson. You can hear us on episode 342, a.k.a. Laser Season. And in only a couple weeks, if you're in or around Raleigh, North Carolina, you'll be able to meet up with both Cap and Chris Sims at Oak City Comic Con, March 18th and 19th. Cap will be doing some panels, emceeing the big dance, and spreading the word about lightning dogs. So if you're able to be there, keep an eye out and watch our social feeds for when and where Cap will be. We'll see you in two weeks with another journey into the wasteland. Howl and again a howl. Howl's moving castle noise. <laughs> Shut up. Studio Ghibli. We'll get them to draw lightning dogs. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.